We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome in. It is your Tuesday, December 5th episode. Hope this podcast finds you well. Host Jake Burns, co-host Andrew Spade. We're here. We're doing our opener that we always do before the comprehensive breakdown from the Browns' 36-19 loss in L.A. SoFi Stadium still looks really lovely. God, would I like to go watch a football game there. It, it almost looks, Andrew, so nice out there. It, it it appears fake. And you get, like, pictures. I don't know if you've you fooled around today on Getty or... Um, USA Today, but you get pictures from angles that I've never really seen. It's actually really unique, the types of photos they're able to get out there that are different than a lot of other stadiums. I know the uh, Falcons and the Mercedes-Benz Dome have the the hanging camera deal, and they're dropping mascots from the ceiling. They're getting unique, but, but I mean, I don't know. L.A. might be the spot that if I could pick any to go watch a game, it might be that one. Yeah, it's a really cool stadium, and it does. You're right; it does. It just looks different. Like even the some of the establishing outside shots yesterday, you know, they've kind of got that parkland around there, so it it you know it, it looks almost like a spaceship landed in the middle of a, a park in L.A. And you know, it's kind of down in that depression. I think they had to do that so it wouldn't be in the middle of flight path or whatever. Yeah, it's it's definitely unique, and it doesn't feel like the Browns play in the same. Like, I mean. That that's a football stadium, and then what Cleveland Brown Stadium is a football stadium is it's just it feels very mismatched. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't even necessarily think I'm not as down on Brown Stadium as most people are, but it's just crazy that they're the same, technically the same thing. You know? Yeah, the check's still cash for John Johnson, right? The money is the same in Ohio as <laughs> LA. It's actually better in Ohio because you know those uh, those taxes yeah. aren't quite as steep. But right. I would imagine John being back in LA, he has no problem with that because. Yeah. It is a different football universe in L.A. And they're building a new practice facility, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. if I read that correctly. So, yeah, I mean, the standard of facilities, you would think that that would not be a gigantic difference maker across a league with so much money the way the NFL is. The Browns don't even have an indoor facility of 100 yards. Right. I mean, many people don't know that. They have an indoor facility, but it was one of the first ones built, and it's like 60 yards. Mm-hmm. They don't even have a 100-yard indoor facility. Yeah. So. They talk about recruiting free agents and stuff like there's just different levels to all this. I think that I I believe they are. It's not been reported well, but I believe they are in the process of trying to fix that. 
They are. At, yeah. at Berea, like they're, they're in the long-term process of acquiring a lot of the, the nearby homes and tearing them down and doing a whole thing, but it's going to take some time because, you know, you're talking about, you know, relocating, I think, if, you know, quite a few families and that sort of thing. So it, it, they're part of the limitation for the Browns is that, you know, they have an existing facility that they don't want to move that is in a, in the middle of a neighborhood. And so when you're building from scratch, you can kind of put, you know, it's like building a Costco or whatever, you know, you can have a pretty big footprint and, yeah. and make it all work the way you want it to. And so the Browns are a little bit disadvantaged there. Yeah. I think the Vikings are another team that built, you know, something pretty recently and it, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a different, if, if you're doing it brand new on a new lot, you can do things in a completely different way than what the Browns are having to work with their limitations. And it's actually, it's true. It's for, it's both for the facility and the stadium, right? Cause the, the stadium's on the lake, the facilities in the middle of a neighborhood in Berea. So it is a, it's a limitation, but you know, uh, enough money that you can convince people of anything, right? Figure it out, yeah. figure it out you because go. you're trying to, you use the money to gain advantages on the cap. You got to do some other stuff on the perimeters here to to meet where the NFL standard is moving. And I mm-hmm. think the stadium pressure they're feeling, you 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 mentioned it well there. The Berea pressure they're feeling a little bit landlocked, but it does seem like they've done some things to acquire some space to expand, expand somewhat. I, I would just, I would hate. This is just me, like going back to to, to days gone by. But I would hate having a gigantic difference between where I practice and where I play. I just mm-hmm. would prefer those to be really close. I know you can only do so much with like guys getting into a facility that is near your home stadium and there's traffic and like Berea is obviously nicer because it's very calm in terms of the traffic patterns. And for the most part, some people might disagree with that, but it's certainly not downtown Cleveland. Right. But I just feel arriving to your stadium and only really going into your home stadium as a home member of the, of the organization, like, what nine times, ten times, if you include the preseason, probably twelve. It just doesn't really. Does that feel like home to you? You know, that's just right. a little bit of a question that I would have because I mean, Berea is what twenty minutes, fifteen, twenty minutes solid from from Cleveland. It's not like they're they're neighboring exits. Get off one and you get on the next. You got to you got to drive up north to get to it. So, I uh, I hope they can balance the playing field. They've done nice nicely with what they have, but they need they need more. Uh, in that sense. And uh, we got off on a weird tangent, but we're going to talk about <laughs> Browns and Rams. Um, they listen, it was again, a, a score that gets away from you at the end, similar to the Broncos game, certainly a lot closer than what it appeared. We're always going to hit on what we learned. I know I've digested the film to the best of my ability throughout a crazy hectic Monday as possible before chalk talk can, you know, c- comes together. But I would say there's some things we're going to hit on. I think we should just hit on offense, defense, and then a bigger picture, Uh, topic here I think you have to start with Joe Flacco there's conversations to be had later in the week whether he can continue starting I talked about it yesterday on the show about reasons why you would go with each Andrew I thought he played really well I mean he made some throws in this game that I haven't seen many Browns quarterback deliver and this is because Watson just hasn't been great since he's been back but there were throws inside this game that felt very like Baker Mayfield ripping it in 2020 in his best form that kind of arm drive delivery stuff. And for a guy who's only been with the organization for two weeks to have a really good feel, the operation side, Andrew, I think you would agree with me, was really clean, was able to can some play calls and get into other play calls. You'd see that at the line of scrimmage. It felt like they protected him well. It felt like line shifts and movements were in place. I'm just impressed with Joe Flacco, and I want to commend him on a game at 38 years old, using his legs a little better than I anticipated, moving around pretty well. 
not that he's running for first downs, but he's just kind of moving around, creating angles, throwing lanes to throw the football. You know, the, the decision to throw that football he talked about to Elijah Moore was a sort of a pressure pocket. His internal clock was going off and wanted to get rid of a football down. I don't know if he saw John Johnson or not. He left it way too far inside. Even if he would have put it, some people tried to argue with me that if he put it on the sideline, it had a chance to be caught. It didn't. I think the corner was shadowing the sideline really well. It was just a bad throw choice, really, in that moment that the Rams had bracketed. They had a bunch of other things covered. That's the worst decision he made on the game. I think there's maybe a ball over the middle that could have been uh, intercepted by John Johnson, but he didn't really give him a clean chance to it. But I will just say that if Joe Flacco's their answer moving forward, and I'm not telling you that we should decide whether that's the thing we would do right now, I do have confidence that Joe can play competent football to give their offense a chance to at least put 20 points on the board. And well, we thought that would be enough week to week, but uh, maybe with the Browns going home, it will be the defense seems to play better at home, but I do think that he's at least operating at a level that we've seen from the other quarterbacks that have been in the Browns off, at least in one game. It's one game. He could have a, he could have a fall off the cliff at any moment, but I was impressed, Andrew. Yeah, I think certainly considering it's a it's a road start, which adds a degree of difficulty. And um, yeah, you mentioned the the limited preparation of Mari Cooper leaving in the first half. I think those are all things that kind of you know push against him in terms. Of those those are factors counting against him. I guess is the way to say it. Uh, and I think he he still played really well. I I think uh, you know I, I think that you can make an argument for both players starting. I think you could honestly. I would be comfortable with the with the situation where they start Flacco and give DTR a package of plays and try and use his mobility to break some things loose here and there when they need need a little bit of a different look um if they're willing to do that which has been an issue you know an ongoing issue all season but but that that's another way you could get there i mean it's i it's nice that they have two options because i think that the world where they they were as of last week DTR gets hurt against the Broncos and you got to go back to PJ Walker and you feel like the game is over and so the way this season has gone, if Flacco or DTR were to get hurt, starting would start and then get hurt, you would at least feel like you have somebody you could turn to. So it does feel like for the first time since, really since the first Watson injury, they have a little bit of depth at the position where you feel good about either guy playing, which is great. Considering where they are in the season and how much they've lost, it's great to, to feel that way. Yeah, especially when you consider going into the Pittsburgh game, you didn't even know if Dorian could operate a game plan in, in any sort of successful fashion. So to feel like you now have two guys who can at least be competent, it does give you some encouragement for the big games lingering, right? Yeah. I will also say another takeaway before we shift off offense is that I'm, I've never felt more confident that Kevin has his old school structure that he likes. And Flacco, mm -hmm. and I, I, this is the reason I think he starts Flacco. Kevin doesn't know how to get out of his old patterns he's most comfortable calling a game that's under center for a large portion of it gun when they want to go quick west coast concepts and that's who he is and it was just like it was almost like you could feel him take a, a giant exhale as a play caller in that game because he could call the things that he's been most comfortable calling throughout his career because those are the things that at least from LaFleur and at least from Scangrello and Kubiak days for Flacco were sort of a mesh of what he would understand right away. So I felt like that's why the process was pretty clean, which again, you and I have been pretty vocal about this. We think Kevin's done a great job in a lot of things, but the ability to take what he's known offensively and adapt it to quarterbacks who are not statues in the pocket or need the benefit of play action to be, you know, acceptable passers it's leaving a lot to chew on. And that's a huge part of what's to come in off season discussion. 
but like to me at least i i'm i'm I kind of lean that he's going to stick with Flacco because of the point I just made. It feels yeah. like that's where he feels he can have his best play call and the best collective offensive operation. Yeah, I think he wants the steady hand, you know, and I think he also knows that he can scheme it up a little bit to to put Joe in some situations that are all right. So, I mean, I said this a few weeks ago. I thought the way that Flacco talked in his first press avail- availability after the Pittsburgh game before they went to Denver, it felt like, you know, as soon as he got a window, he was going to be starting. And I think that's the bearing he's had. And I, you know, I, I don't think he's, he did anything yesterday to make you think that that's not where they want this to go. I mean, you know, the, the, we'll talk about it in a second. You know, the, I think they, for very good reasons, want and need to make the playoffs, even if they know that their ceiling is very limited in the playoffs. In terms of where they're headed, you know, next year and the next few years, the culture needs you know, the culture of the team needs a playoff appearance to validate the work that they've been doing. I, I really believe that. And I think Joe Flacco probably gives you a better chance of getting there. So it, it, to me, it makes sense. Yeah, I think I feel pretty confident, Andrew, in the fact that they would not have been able to get Joe to come to Cleveland. It's not like teams were knocking down his door. It's actually ironic looking at the Jets situation. Now Zach Wilson says he doesn't even want to go back in and play. If the Jets would have just signed Flacco like a month ago, they'd clearly be in a much better position. Okay, let's let's flip over, talk defense. I know you had a point you wanted to make about the defense. And, you know, again, like their worst game, I talked about this Havoc play stat, which kind of combines mm-hmm. interceptions, sacks, pass breakups. They're, they're their worst game of ball production, worst game of pressure, worst game of sacks, 400 yards, no turnovers like this yeah. and i even with all that it was still a 2019 game which is kind of amazing mm-hmm. that they were able to keep it at that point uh, to have a chance to maybe go on a long drive and win the football game but it just felt like and, and maybe you're i the colts game was like this to an extent throughout but throughout the game i just felt like they did not have an answer andrew that just didn't have an answer for what mcveigh was throwing at them and it was just a matter of the rams screwing up instead of the browns taking something away from them yeah, I agree with that. I think that it's just, you know, w- what I would say about the the Browns defense and where they're at is that they're they're at a little bit of a crossroads here between the injury stuff that they've had with Denzel Ward and obviously Miles Garrett is limited. Uh and and just some of the recent performances. I, you know, um I, I, you you mentioned the the Colts game. You you go back that far. Um certainly that you know when they were in Baltimore with the Ravens, the last two games on the road, part of this is they do clearly play worse on the road. So you expect them to rebound against the Jaguars. But I also really think that part of this is not having good answers when the other team has kind of figured you out. And so you look at the upcoming schedule. I think the Jaguars and the Texans have the combination of play caller quarterback where they can probably find some stuff to get after the Browns defense. The good news for the Browns is that in those other three games, the Bears, the Jets, and the Bengals, I think you probably either through the play caller, the quarterback, or both are going to kind of be let off the hook a little bit. And the defense should be able to do what it does best, like you mentioned, causing havoc, getting into the backfield, creating turnovers, all of the sorts of negative plays that they need to to help kind of fuel an offense that I think we all know is limited. So the question I have, Jake, and this kind of then bundles into my next point is, can they figure out a way to steal one of these between Jacksonville and Houston? Because I think it's very clear for their path to the playoffs that they have to beat the Bears, the Jets, and the Bengals. That's not really negotiable. And it's it's tough in the NFL to count wins 
ahead of time, but I think you have to count those three as wins. So then I really think the more I've looked at the, the playoff scenarios, you get this big, right now there's this chunk of teams. It's going to be the, the Steelers, the Browns, the Colts, and the Broncos. That's four teams for three spots. And then you've got the outside possibility of the, the, the Bills kind of shoving their way back through the door uh, if they get real hot and just don't lose the rest of the way. Um, I think those are, you know, unless I'm missing somebody, I think those are all the teams that are kind of in this. And from what I've seen, if you get a bunch of those teams, two, 10 and seven, you get one tiebreaker for all of them rather than head to head. So their, their win against the Colts doesn't help them as much as you'd like it to. For the Browns to control their destiny and not need another team to lose, they have to get to 11 wins is, is, is my conclusion. And I, I feel pretty strongly about that, 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 that's what the scenarios bear out because the Colts and the Texans and the Steelers to a certain extent, although they have quarterback trouble now have a very clear path and, uh, and the Broncos as well have a, a pretty like friendly schedule. So when those three teams all have a friendly schedule and I think have a good chance of all being 10 and seven. And I think the Browns for the most part lose tiebreakers to those teams. So they, they, I really think it. you can kind of distill this down to finding a way to steal one against Jacksonville or Houston, ideally against the Texans because it helps you even more there because it's a loss for them, but you wouldn't quibble if you built, beat the Jaguars, obviously. And then that sets them up at 11 and six to, to be that fifth seed. And then they would probably have, you know, a game against, you're going to think that it's probably the Ravens or the Jaguars again, you know, in wildcard weekend that would give you a chance to, you know, advance. And so you you have to feel good about their chances in that game, but they have to get there. And I think, you know, it's with a two game losing streak, you know, we talked a little bit last night, Jake, about like why the, the past two weeks have kind of felt frustrating from my perspective. I think it's because I felt, felt like there was a chance to steal one of those games more than there is against the Jaguars or the Texans, just relatively, you know, if that Houston game is in Cleveland, I feel differently about it. But I, I think Jags, Jacksonville's really good. I think they'll be a, a tough out for the Browns next Sunday. And then I think going to Houston with you know what C.J. Stroud has done is going to be challenging. So, and that's assuming they don't drop any of the other three. So I'm just you know I mentioned it before. I th- I think they do need to make the playoffs to validate what they have built this year. And I I I just would hate to see it kind of fall a little short here down the stretch if they if they only manage to go three and two or two and three. It'd be a huge bummer, man. It'd be a huge bummer. And also talking about 10 wins and missing the playoffs, that is bad sure. 2007 memories, right? Sure. Where they yes. like lost late in the year to a eight and eight Cardinals team. They lost that game before the end of the year to the seven and nine Bengals. Like those two games are wins that you're banking on having. And then if I recall, they had to have the, the, the Colts who were resting starters. Peyton Manning played a little bit and then, uh, they, they had to Sorgi. beat the Titans. And Jim Sorge was trying to yep. finish the game and beat the Titans. It was a 16-10. I'm just now kind of just loaded for me. 16-10 Titans win over the Colts. That cost the Browns a chance to make the playoffs. You could be living in that world again if you do only get to 10. So that's a very fair point to bring up, right? So, yeah, I mean, obviously you get an extra game. It's different. It's not 10-6. and six, It's 10-7 and seven these days. It's a little bit different. It's kind of more of like a 9-7 and seven where you do it 9-7 and seven, feel super vulnerable, right? Sure. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you. Um, you know, with the Jags, it feels like you have to, you really have to 
get some weather, maybe some gnarly weather, just make it real Northeast Ohio in December type stuff to make it so you have some sort of advantage there because I think neutral field, the Jags are clearly a better football team. We'll see how they handle the Bengals tonight, but it's clearly a better football team. And then the Texans in the Dome, you don't feel good about it because the Browns haven't been able to, on the road, stop many dynamic quarterbacks, and CJ's playing good football. Now, they did lose Tank Dell. Matters a little bit, but it doesn't seem to slow them down from scheming up some answers. So, you know, Nico Collins playing well. Probably comes down to how Denzel's feeling because without Denzel and Cam Mitchell, the secondary has been a bit lost in what to do, where to go, and teams are finding guys to pick on. That plays a huge part of it. But I think the biggest thing, Andrew, when kind of reaching backward to talk about what you started with, the defense doesn't seem to have a counterpunch. When teams have figured out what they like to do, like I, I've, I've rewatched that touchdown to Puka Nakua several times. The Browns come up in a look that is a dead giveaway. It's a dead giveaway for what they're going to be in coverage-wise. You got Thornhill walk down and Delpit walk down with two basically off corners. There's not a doubt in your mind that you're getting invert two. And he Stafford was so comfortable picking apart these coverages. Now I don't know. I can't imagine just being down. Denzel tells the tells the team like we can't disguise in any way, shape, or form because we don't want to do that. But if that's the case, like I, I just feel like these quarterbacks recently have had a good feel between what we saw Russ doing at the line of scrimmage paired with what Sean Payton was putting together. Now McVay I mean, Doug Peterson's been around the ring. He knows how to operate this. Trevor Lawrence is a very heady quarterback. They'll figure out answers. Stroud is clearly learning, adapting, and putting himself in great positions week to week. I don't doubt he can come up with answers. They have to disguise better. If they don't disguise better, the ball's coming out. Yesterday's 2.44 second ball delivery from time to throw perspective, the single quickest delivery of the football that we have seen this year. If you pair a quarterback who can get rid of the ball quick with a team that uses a high volume of motion, you have a disaster for this Browns defense. It's just been that way all year. Now, not every team does that, right? Uh, week to week, right? And the, the Jags don't do a ton of motion, but they will do some different things off of who they uh, customarily are because they're going to see schematic advantages to what the Browns are failing to figure out. So, yeah, and I mean – the Jets and Bengals, we'll see where the Bengals are. That's such a wild card week 18. Teams kind of like pack it in for the year. There's a chance, you and I talked about this yesterday, a real chance the Bengals are kind of done at that point. We'll we'll see. There could be the incentive of knocking the Browns out of the playoffs. We could, it could get them really hungry. But, yeah, I mean, between the Bears, the Jets, and I think you're making a great point here with the Bengals, the pairing of like quarterback and OC and the ability to to do things to to give the Browns trouble. Those are the types of teams the Browns' defense has thrived on. They've buried the bat. Like, embarrassingly buried the bad but anybody with the competent play calling uh, angle here outside of what we saw from Shanahan which apparently the kryptonite for Shanahan is is whatever Jim Schwartz puts together if you look at the historical day it's kind of mind-blowing because then on the flip side of that McVeigh kind of owns uh, ironically owns uh, uh, Jim Schwartz so I, I don't know what the the stigma is there going on but most of the outside of one competent offensive coordinators that the Browns have played this year have put them in a blender defensively. Now, not all have resulted in big yardage the way we saw yesterday, but there's no doubt that they've put them in a blender at times. And the, and the splits are startling, Andrew. I mean, the week one through nine best EPA in the NFL defensively weeks 10 through 13, you're talking about 19th, right? And, and again, that's, that's kind of credit to some of the domination things they've done early in the season, because the Colts game was mixed in there. The Seahawks game was mm -hmm. mixed in those first nine weeks, I think. So you're talking about like teams still putting together very fluid game plans that have given the Browns trouble. So 
I, they're at a crossroads. I'm kind of writing it as I'm kind of explaining in this article. They're at a crossroads of who they are going to be. They're beat up, no doubt, losing Cam and Denzel, but that should not define their season. They're relatively healthy on the front. They have not lost anybody on that front. So it was startling to me to have no idea how to slow the football from leaving the hand of Stafford in a way that allowed you to get home. And if you weren't getting home in the first half the way they weren't, Stafford's picking apart anything you do with just four rushers to not notice that in your five pressures of five man got like situations that you were able to disrupt a lot of what they were doing and not be able to adjust that on the fly, just really disappointing. And, and I think that what you and I have been talking about all year is this formula that they lean into so exclusively with getting off the field on third downs, right? They had another bad performance collectively on third downs in this one. I don't have it in front of me. I can pull it up here real quick. It might not look as bad on the surface, but I think you and I would agree. I mean, it's only four of 12, but again, some most of those are sort of early in the game. They're keeping some of those drives alive paired with the explosive plays that they give up. It's not, they're just not in a good spot. They're not in a healthy spot, man. But you talk about the offense and it's very easy to make excuses for where they're at and why they're there because of the injuries to important people. They're not really dealing with it that badly on defense. So you have to find a way to get better production out of your secondary outside corner or whoever, you know, if you need to play a, you need to bring Deron Hammond come up, like whatever you need to do to figure out how to alleviate this weakness at corner, you got to figure it out. I, I mean, I know Hammond's a safety, but maybe you're playing more three safeties and you stick Newsom back outside. I'm not sure what the answer is here, man, but the Rams picked on it nonstop. And it was, it was obvious. And they, they knew when the Browns were going to be in man coverage and ran the football on the perimeter. They would crack block an outside blocker, take that guy running with him in man coverage inside and flip it outside on a, on a little quick, uh, quick sweep, or they were, you know, running the jet sweep stuff for huge gains. So I'm, I'm just defensively. I'm not as confident. I'm just, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the, scary enough back half of 2022 feeling of the, these guys can't seem to understand they look ill prepared for what teams are are wanting to do most often that's not right it's not a wildly different approach from the rams in this game from who they are if you've watched them at all this year it's high motion it's uh, a variety of run schemes and they're going to try to run it on the perimeter a little bit wide zone toss pin pull stuff like that wasn't like the rams being a total reverse of who they traditionally are they just ran their stuff and the Browns had no answer for it. Like they, again, like ill-prepared, man. Yeah. I, I think the the concern is that you, you like I said, you, you're, you're talking about their limitations against better teams. And you mentioned the 49ers game kind of being the outlier, but I think they're going to get another good offensive team. That's, that's well coached and, and well quarterback this week you hope that the home field advantage is is enough to mitigate that. Right. And, and like you said, maybe some weather gets in there, you know, Trevor's a, a Southern kid and, and does have some ball security issues. So you, you hope that they find a way because I think that's where they're at now. I, I don't, I don't look at this as the same sort of invulnerable unit that we felt like we had earlier. And, and I think even, you know, a few weeks ago was, was talking about in terms of you get in the playoffs and it's a one game sample and anybody can beat anybody. I, that is still true as far as it goes, but I think there's definitely some, some holes in the, in the, uh, in the bed sheet or, or however you want to say it, right? Like there's, there's some gaps, there are some gaps and, and they, the, the recipe is out there now for, for the things that 
other teams can do successfully against them. And, um, you know, I, I mean, it's, it, it's something you've said before too. It's up to them to adjust, right? It's up to them to show something different. I think part of what is disheartening to me is that you get a lot of this stuff where like the, the cover to invert thing, it's like, that's not new. You know, that's, a, that's a, that's like a staple for Schwartz. And I think you almost, if you're, if you're Jim Schwartz, you don't you have to kind of expect a guy like Sean McVay is going to end up and a quarterback like Matt Stafford, they're going to be ready for it. It was the most obvious look they've given running that this year too. I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah. I, I just, I think they thought the pressure was going to be the answer. Stafford motioned, uh, got out of under center because he saw the look he wanted to see, got into the gun yep. and ran what they wanted to run to, to beat it. And it was a, it was a true beater. He didn't, he didn't have any issue looking left and just ripping the football because he knew he was going to get Taki Taki as a statue defender and nobody in the middle of the field. It's just about putting the ball over his head to Puka Nakua, right. Without too much loft so that the uh, crashing outside corners could get to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just baffled by some of the disguise issues here. Like, if you look at the second and 20 that goes for a 30 yard corner out, he knew it was cover two right away. He checked again into a cover two beater. Like I'm, I'm sort of baffled how 13 weeks in here, Andrew, they're not in games against again, like when you're playing Clayton tunes of the world or like right. some of these other, you can do this stuff. You can do this against the jets and be fine. You can do it against the, you know, probably Jake Browning to an extent, like there's going to be chances to do some of this stuff. But to think you could McVay and Stafford your way with this concept, this angle, and even Russell Wilson, who's clearly diminished, but him and McVay are at least smart. They they've at least seen a lot of ball. It's it's a borderline arrogant, man. Borderline arrogant is kind of the way I would put yeah. it. I think the way that I would sum this up, Jake, is that there's definitely a story of this Brown season where you can say, Well, you lose Nick Chubb week two. Deshaun Watson's in and out of the lineup and then done for the year after their biggest win of the season against Baltimore. Jack Conklin goes down early, you know, uh, injuries to Denzel Ward. And, and so, you know, you kind of put all that together and say, well, they just at a certain point got overwhelmed by injuries. But I, I think watching these games, I, I think there's stuff that they are doing, you know, no, no coach is ever going to be perfect. You know, Stefanski has made a point of saying that, that this year, and I think it's true, right? We, the standard for these guys is not perfection ever, right? But, but I do think there has been some stuff on both sides of the ball that you can ask questions that go beyond just injuries. And I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's bad analysis to sit here and say they got, they got injured to a certain, such an extent that they couldn't win these games. There are still talented players. I mean, I mentioned Jack Conklin. Dewan Jones has been, I think, every bit as good as what we expected from Jack Conklin. So you can say you lost Jack Conklin week one, but Dewan Jones performed, right? So it, you know, part of this is about who steps up and, and takes the place and, and whether or not those players are up to the task of replacing the players that are injured. But I think also part of it is the coaches adapting what they do to allow the team to be successful despite the injuries. And when you lose Denzel Ward and you know Miles Garrett is diminished, how you create pressure using blitzes, using extra pressures, how you uh, you know disguise your coverages, run some things that maybe would catch the other team off guard and, and trouble their preparation a little bit, those are ways that you scheme up a win. And the Browns, listen, they have done that this year. They absolutely have done that. But these last two weeks, they haven't, and they have been on the other side of it, where they've been they've been getting schemed up, and they've kind of been pushed around a little bit. And it's that's the that's the part that's frustrating because it felt like 
those wins were maybe available for them there. Yeah, they need to go into these last few or these next few, sorry, with coaches saying a little bit of what Kenny Pickett said. We expected more man, got a lot more zone. They need to do some things that are unique and different. This time of the year, you need to put in some looks that you have not exposed on film. Like they need to like again, these next two are so important to the con to, to the concept of making the playoffs that they need to do everything in their power. I don't care what it puts on film for the, the remaining three after it. You you get to nine and five somehow, even splitting them, getting one of them to get to eight and six, you need to do whatever it takes. You got that that's the the simple the simple side of it where they cannot think that their scheme alone and the aggressive approach and all this is the answer anymore. You can get some offenses early in the season uh, as teams are trying to sort of delve into who they want to be offense. I think that's the right time to be that way. And I'm not calling for them to not be aggressive. That's who they are. But how do you harness the aggression and also give some teams an idea that you're going to be aggressive and then you're going to bail out of that aggression to do some different things that take away answers. I need them to make quarterbacks confused. They have to do it. And they had Stafford was not confused all day he just yeah. wasn't confused he was on top of everything they were doing and you're not going to win ball games that way and on top of the run game stuff which had plenty of success too you're not going to win that way you just yeah. can't they were successful rushing five right i think you you posted that in our slack that they they had good success rushing five uh yesterday but they just didn't do it that much i believe if i remember correctly it was five dropbacks and and stafford was over five yeah, it was a very minimal blitz effort. Go ahead and continue your thought, and I'll have an answer for you on that exact data. But True Media said 0 for 5. But I want to yeah. see what Pro Football Focus has as a comparison piece to it as well because I think some of their stuff – because actually the thing is they blitz 6 a couple times, and when they blitz 6, that was they were problem. actually pretty successful against the oh, six-man blitz. Right, the, the Rams were, yes, yeah. yeah. I, so I, th- I think that that's – you know, and listen, you know, maybe it works uh, for for – a reason that they don't fully understand and, you know, you're not prepared. And, and again, I, I don't want, this is not just like a, a you know, a, an un, unlimited negativity thing. I, I think it's just, it's that like, I think what you're saying about the time of year is, is such a great way to put it. This is the time of year where you can absolutely steal a game by catching a team off guard offensively or defensively, both ideally. Right. And so they've got, I think two games that, you know, to go back to my original point, if, unless you want to like root for the Colts to win or lose a bunch of games or that, or the Broncos to lose a bunch of games. I unfortunately think that the Browns are in a position where they're going to be in a, in a multiple way tie at 10 and seven and, and be in, in a difficult spot. Now, obviously injuries and different things like that can change all of this, right? It's, you know, we're trying to predict the future in the NFL. It's dangerous business. But what I what I'm trying to point to is that they have two games where I think they're probably going to be underdogs. I they'll, they'll I haven't even seen the line this week, but I have to assume the Jaguars are favored. And then I would guess against the Texans in Houston, they will be underdogs as well. So can you find a way to steal one of those games? And then you obviously have to take care of business in the other three and get to four and one over these last five so that you can end up eleven and six. Because if you're eleven and six, you're walking into the playoffs. And again, I think that's where you say, given everything they face this year, that the season was a success. But I do not want to be the the person or the fan, whoever, that says, well, at a certain point, you know, it's too many injuries and you just can't do it. Because I think we see in the NFL that teams overcome that adversity and the Browns have done it. They have done it. They got to seven and three, but the job's not done, right? 
you know, which is a little bit ironic given the uh, hat that Miles Garrett was wearing after the Pittsburgh game, right? The old Kobe mantra of uh, jobs not finished. So, yeah, I wanted to double check. So uh, they were 0 for 5, according to True Media. When you brought six, uh, six or more, um, even even getting crazier and bringing six or seven, it looks like, yeah, the Puka Nakua touchdown uh, came down the middle of the field, another 20-yard completion up the right sideline when Puka got hurt is another completion and then another 15 yards. So if they brought, if they dropped six and brought five, they were in really good shape in that game. Got an O for five result when they brought six or more or brought a, a fire zone pressure, right? Then that's when things got rough when they dropped defensive linemen out, right? Because, you know, kind of like that's, you can chart it and say, well, they actually blitz, but they dropped the linemen out. So that's only four rushers, so on and so forth. When they actually occupied with five guys, rushing the quarterback they were really effective so it's kind of a bummer that they didn't do a little bit more of that so all right listen we're not out on the defense we're not out they can fix this they can get back on track it's going to take a a big group effort hopefully i mean if you want proof denzel ward matters to your football team you've got no more evidence in the last two weeks he matters to your football team in a very large way so hopefully we hear it's been so quiet on that front we've heard no updates on that shoulder we just know he's been out and we haven't gotten any answer for what's going on, even the specifics of what's going on with that shoulder. So Browns and shoulder injuries, Denzel, Miles and uh, Deshaun Watson's can kind of the defining injuries uh, issue of their of their season. So hopefully we get some good updates on both Miles and Denzel throughout the week because it's clear they need to be pretty healthy to, to be their most effective self. And hopefully the home crowd, home environment, the next two can get them back on track because they need to be back on track. This offense just isn't going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to carry them through games. That's just the way that this is cut up. So the defense has to be the weeks one through nine productive type of defense instead of the one that we're seeing the last four weeks. So, okay, that's a wrap up for this, uh, today to start. Uh, thanks to Andrew for stopping by, hanging out with me and chatting. And uh, like I always do, we'll take a quick break word for our sponsors, and then we will be back to talk about some of the data and uh, game plan analysis from this one. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, quick comprehensive review for each side of the football. So we'll start with offense. The Browns only ran 38 snaps of 11 personnel which is down uh, from considerably what they normally do. Obviously, Amari Cooper left the game. They had to adjust, so they ran 12 personnel and 19 snaps, and then 13 personnel and 4 snaps. Again, Jordan Akins doesn't seem to have a role here. I, I don't really understand the signing, what the draw, the appeal was. It is not It's not working out. He had a catch in the game, but again, it's just it's not working out. It's, it's tough to see why they spent the cap there the way they did when they could have just invested in the UDFA market or something like that. It's just a really disappointing outcome so far, especially considering how much Harrison Bryant's involved, and we didn't necessarily expect that, right? Uh, so Aikens played only 12 snaps in this one, right? So not much, and again, very minimal impact. 38.9% motion percentage, a little higher than their average. Not by much, though, 26th in the NFL. It's pain, you know, for me, if you guys listen to me, it's pretty painful for me to to hear that, right? You know, I think you guys know by now how much I enjoy motion and the and the benefits from motion and the fact that they're not using them as much as they should, especially for a team fighting for every inch on the football field they can find. It's disappointing overall. Uh, let's keep going. Rams played their their heavy zone tendencies, but I thought they were charted with only one man snap. I saw more than one man snap. I saw about three or four key moments in the game that they were running man to man, like press man. So I don't necessarily agree with that charting. They had the Rams at one cover one snap, 11 cover six snaps, 18 cover four snaps, and then a lot of cover three. Cover three was where the Browns were worst in this one. We'll talk about the quarterback in just a second. Snap count perspective, I like to always give you this. So Cedric Tillman led all wide receivers with 66, and Joku led the tight end group with 59. Uh, Elijah Moore played 52 snaps. Uh, David Bell, 28 Cooper 23 before he left. That's your wide receiver group that played tight ends behind Njoku's 59. You got 31 snaps from Bryant, which graded really well. And then you get Aikens 12. Pierre Strong played 10 in the backfield. You got Kareem Hunt on the field for 25 snaps. Jerome Ford for 36. And then additional linemen find the field eight times Michael Dunn, three times for Nick Harris in the fullback role, and then James Hudson found the field twice in heavy personnel packages as well. 
moving down the line here, talking about quarterback performance, you know, kind of off the street for Joe Flacco to get a 60.8 pass grade, one turnover worthy play, 11.6 average distance of target, strong, dealt with two drops, 17 pressures, sacked twice, those late sacks. It's not like he was taking many sacks. Those were late, and uh, it felt like the Browns had kind of quit the game at that point, unfortunately. Like I said, the coverage tells you a pretty good story, uh, at least in my perspective, uh, about how the Rams wanted to play him, play it safe. They did not blitz him a ton. They blitzed him 11 times uh, on 11 dropbacks. Flacco went 5 of 11. It's actually his worst graded department. 5 of 11, 39 yards and an interception. When he was not blitzed, he was 18 of 33, 215 and two touchdowns. So that was obviously strong. 17 pressures on dropbacks, 4 of 15, 29 yards. So if you want to know where a 38-year-old quarterback struggles, 4 of 15 when under pressure, an interception. When not under pressure, when kept clean, 19 of 29, 225 and two touchdowns. The Browns had their best play-action performance of the season. Probably from an EPA standpoint, I think the Cardinals game was better, but this one they got one of their best performances. 10 of 16 in play-action, 162, a couple touchdowns, the interception as well. But obviously that was the most frequently used under-center play-action we've seen from the Browns in a variety of ways. And again, it harkens back to how I think Kevin Stefanski is most comfortable calling that type of structure for the quarterback non-play action 13 of 28 92 yards one screen for nine yards hit non-screen plays 22 of 43 245 two touchdowns that number gets up to 43 because you're fighting late the Browns could actually play from out in front of somebody run game numbers would be higher the deep ball connection stuff wasn't good only one throw down the right sideline to more one of six for 42 yards and interception so that's his worst graded department the 10 of 19 and medium range throws a welcome change for the Browns of late. 7 of 12, 124, a touchdown in the short throws. 12 of 17, 83 yards in a touchdown. So I commend Flacco. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, I talked through all of the chalk talk stuff about some reads I think he missed, about four or five of them. Obviously the one was super detrimental, as we all know, the interception, right? So that's out there if you want to go find it and you want to see visual aid to help. Harrison Bryant. Highest receiving grade, 89.3, catches all five targets, 49 yards, a touchdown. His most active performance, uh, I thought he played well. I thought he played well. Caught a great ball up the seam, caught a nice play-action boot throw, obviously caught a second play-action boot underneath on a slice concept underneath behind the line of scrimmage to catch that touchdown. He had a great, he had a good game. Elijah Moore cut four of ten targets. Um, I'm not sure that he missed a bunch of opportunities. They did give him... They did not give him a drop, which I thought was the right thing to do. Uh, one ball was left too far inside, pass breakup. But, you know, it's clear that Flacco has some comfort with more and more. Got to play more on the outside, right? He was 25 snaps wide to just 13 in the slot, which is how I think he should be used primarily as it is. So it was nice to see that the route running was on display and he got a nice 76.2 receiving grade. I thought he was good. thought he was good. Jerome Ford catches three targets, 33 yards, and the touchdown on the play-action boot fake wheel like that. David Bell catches both of his targets for 12 yards. Amari Cooper catches three of five for 34, but he's charted with two drops. Not a good game from Amari. Really two straight games. We haven't seen much of an impact from Amari Cooper, and the Browns can't survive that way. Cedric Tillman, two catches on six targets, 20 yards. And David Njoku, two catches on six targets for 17 yards. He's got to have a bigger impact. One of those was a nine-yard screen catch. We got to get 
They got to get more out of. I feel like I've been saying it for years. They got to get more out of them. Pierre Strong, highest run grade, two carries, twenty yards. Almost broke a wide zone carry into the end zone. Thought he had a nice second half, getting opportunities. Kareem Hunt, twelve for forty-eight, and then Jerome Ford, nine for nineteen. But I mean, Jerome Ford's not running against. I think looks that are going to give him any opportunities. I'm watching that chalk talk. There's not a ton of wiggle room there. It's it's not. It's not getting blocked up very well for him. It's kind of unfortunate he's on the receiving side of that. Kareem Hunt continues to be really effective in short yardage where they used him to pick up multiple first downs. He had five first down runs on the game. And then Jerome Ford pass blocked really well, and that's noteworthy. That's why they that's why they trust him the most right now. Blocking grades uh, from the offensive line perspective, um, the pass block phase is not good enough. 68.9 from Jerron Christian, but Wyatt Teller's a 59.7. Postage a 27.1. Joel Batonio a 25.9. Like, if that's your guard center guard while your tackles play really well, considering, right, 78.2 from Dewan Jones, like, I thought the tackles were fine. And it makes sense. The Rams don't have as skilled edge rushers as they do in the interior, but the Browns are playing... Between Teller Postage and Batonio, a ton of money. They have to play better. So one of the worst Joel Batonio pass-blocking games I've seen from him, man. Postage was rough, too. Between the three of those guys, you're talking about nine pressures of the 16. It's unacceptable for what they're paying and what they're expecting out of those guys. You know, I understand Aaron Donald, but, you know, Kobe Turner and some of these others, it's like they can't have these issues pop up, especially when the collective around them Blocked pretty well in this game. Harrison Bryant and Njoku, I thought, blocked pretty well. The, the team collectively received some pretty strong run grades, but they have to pass block better, especially in moments in these tight moments where these games are teetering. They're not playing from out in front very much. Just a disappointing performance from those guys overall. They they, ha- they have to be better. There's no excuse for that, for Postage, Teller, and Batonio to be at that level what they were. In the true pass sets, it wasn't even much better. In those instances, they accounted for 10 pressures. The whole entire group accounted for. From Teller, you had two. From Postage, you had one. And then you had three from Batonio. So over 50% coming from those players. Maybe the Browns need to be helping their interior a little bit more now. I'm not sure. The Browns ran outside zone 10 times for 33 yards. One of their better run concepts. Power and counter non-existent this week because they couldn't gap down on the Interior well enough, only two carries, six yards, no pin-pull success, two carries for negative two. They did find downhill duo rushing success, seven for 33, but that's sort of the extent of it. The thing that concerns me is that the Browns ran into eight-man boxes on 30.4% of their snaps. The Rams ran into eight-man boxes on just 8% of their runs. Which team ran the football better? I will let you guess on that one, right? So... 11 plays in zone, 10 plays in gap. They were fine. They started to run it better in the second half, but at that point, trying to mix things up a little bit, now you're chasing the scoreboard after it gets to 27-19. It just is going to tilt the opposite favor of the pass game, right? And it's just the efficiency was so broken the first half when they needed it to be better, and it crippled them early in the game, especially when they couldn't run on short third downs, right? They tried to get in the gun one time and run and couldn't do it. You got rolling in the second half, and that was nice, and I thought their balance was better. But in moments where the Browns are trying to create some plays, I understand going to the passing game because that's what they've been using best, especially that play-action passing game. It's just a real real bummer that they were unable to get a result 
off that play action when they needed it, right? That 20 to 19 score, six minutes left. Uh, tough. They, they could have put 27, even probably 30 on the board uh, in that one. Defensively, Anthony Walker gets your highest grade. Ogbo Okoronkwo gets your second highest grade. Miles Garrett, your third. Only two pressures for Miles Garrett. Posted a clip. He, he doesn't look like himself. I wouldn't be surprised. This is me totally speculative here. If at the end of the football season we hear about he's getting surgery on that shoulder, but I think he's going to try to, to rough it out. Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, as long as they're alive, he's going to try to rough it out. But um, the ball got out of Matt Stafford's hands so fast. The 2.44 second time to throw, by far the the quickest the Browns have faced this year. 50% of throws coming out in under two and a half seconds. It was a, it was just not a fun game for this group to rush the passer. Like there was, there was so few opportunities to get after the quarterback when the quarterback actually held on to the football. That wasn't play action based. The Rams had him in hell. They had him in hell, manipulated them in both phases. They ran it well in the perimeter, right? So the Rams ran uh, six plays of outside zone for 32 yards uh, eight plays of pin pull for 46. They put it on the perimeter, dared the Browns support players to come up and tackle, caught them in man coverage a ton, talked about the light boxes they faced. Hey, we get them in man coverage. We're going to get crack blocks. We're going to peel out and around, have those guys, those cornerbacks chase those crack blocks in, and we got the edge sealed. And the Browns didn't adjust to those issues. They played a dense amount of man and I'm talking a lot. Like the, in this game, they played 34 snaps of cover zero and cover one. 32 of cover one, just a couple snaps of cover zero. But that's compared to nine snaps of cover six, three snaps, sorry, 11 snaps of cover three, and five snaps of cover two. So 10 to 12 more snaps of man coverage. And it, and it just didn't work out for them. I mean, that's the perfect thing against man coverage is to crack and, and replace with a puller. And they did a great job, and the Browns did not react well enough laterally to get out and stop the run. So in this one at the bottom, Mike Ford, Greg Newsom, Jordan Elliott, Dalvin Tomlinson. So you get two bad defensive tackle performances. Newsom, another rough game in the slot, including a 29 run grade. Mike Ford, a 29 run grade. That's fitting from what I saw on film. Right? It's really rough. Missed tackles, seven missed tackles in the game, but guys just not fitting the run well, not realizing sorting out crack blocks and when they needed to get their eyes back outside. Just rough all the way around. Continuing down the line, the Browns played a lot of base, uh, sorry, a lot of nickel, 61 snaps, one snap of base, and when they got in dime and played six DBs, all six times they played it on third downs, they got the Rams off the field, but again, how many third and longs can you get in where you want to put that extra DB on the field? That's that's the big question. The Rams had .24 EPA for the game. Uh, they played motion on 73% of snaps. So like I said, had the Browns in hell chasing motion and bumping and, and knowing and understanding their rules. That's all very illustrated for you in Chalk Talk. 18 of 68 snaps included no motion. So they were on the field 50 plays of motion, making the Browns chase them around with that stuff. And when they added motion to their run game, it boosted their EPA by 10.10 points. They're just challenging the Browns to think all the time. And they ran for 4.8 yards on first down rushes, which is going to always make the sticks something easier for you to chase on third downs. Stafford in the game only blitzed 10 times. He was 5 of 10, 126 in a touchdown, largely because the cover two invert accounts for 70 yards of that. The Browns didn't bring more than five rushers 
but two times. When they brought five pass rushers, Stafford was 0 for 5. He ate up fire zones. He ate up cover 2 invert. He ate up some cover 6 for big throws. That's 90 yards between the Puka throw down the middle and the throw up the uh, right sideline on 2nd and 20 where they get 30 yards. That's 100 of the 279 passing yards, right? So in this one, his best mark was when he was blitzed. But again, their fire zones and how people data collect, how many rushes are coming. Pro Football Focus charts a fire zone, which is a dropping D lineman and, and a blitzing second level defender as a blitz. Whereas some places will say a blitz is only five when you bring five or more after the quarterback. So it's a little tricky on the data collection side. But the Browns weren't very aggressive in this one. It's actually one of the lowest blitz percentages I've seen them have, according to True Media. When when Stafford was kept clean, 18 of 28, 175, two touchdowns. Under pressure, 4 of 9, 104, and a touchdown. They include that, again, 70-yard puka throw with pressure because Thornhill comes off the right side and almost gets a hand on that football. They included that in the pressure look. Uh, not blitz, 17 of 27, 153, and two touchdowns. A pretty good game overall, right? They give him a 72.2 passing grade. I thought it could have been higher because I thought he took care of a lot of stuff. They actually gave him two big-time, sorry, three big-time throws and one turnover-worthy play. We broke that one down in Chalk Talk 2 where he throws a Texas route to Kyron Williams out of the backfield on the right side, never identifies the middle middle read linebacker. Anthony Walker just missed a, right before halftime, missed a real chance to come away with a football that would have been huge to keep it at 10-10 or he even could have returned it for something big. 20-plus yard throws for Stafford, 2 of 5. He gets a touchdown, 100 yards, 88.5 grade. Medium, 10 of 19 yard range he was two of four for 35 yards 16 of 20 on the short side of things so again effective efficient they had a great game plan football is coming out run defense grades top of the list thornhill okoronkwo khalif halasi anthony walker the bottom there's quite a few guys at 50 or below zadarius dalvin tomlinson jordan elliott grant delpit jok mike ford greg newsome they didn't fit the run well and i'm not surprised to see those grades where they're at didn't get to the corners, only 13 stop tackles on the game, nearly two yards before contact. They the, Again, the Rams, between the, with, the, with the fly motion stuff they put together for some big runs, they had the Browns on their heels. They, they, have, they have got to consider changing some of their rules here because I know the Jags coming in this weekend, I know they're banged up and they're going to possibly be without Trevor Lawrence, but they're going to challenge the Browns' rules to motion. They, they just are. And that's something you should be worried about as, as a fan, like how they're handling this and the, and the chaos that is causing them. They need to simplify as best they can. Miscommunications are the biggest things that hurt defenses at the NFL level more than anything. And they're in the middle of it. Pass rush Jordan Elliott gets your highest grade despite not creating a pressure. He just won off the ball. But again, you can win off the ball and not get a pressure because the football is out so quick. So Darius gets a 76.3 miles, a 69.9 nice. Juan Thornhill, 66.9 grand Delpit on three pass rushes. Everybody else above 50. They actually are telling you that the Browns rushed well, which I thought they did. 14 pressures, but no sacks. Only two quarterback hits. That's all you need to know about how quickly the football is coming out of the hand of the quarterback. And if you can't use your man coverage to create a quarterback holding onto the football longer, that tells you what you need to know. Broken coverage game right? Broken coverage game. It's disappointing. As far as coverage metrics go, Anthony Walker and JOK get your highest grades. Usually not a good indication of the result of things. Between your guys at the bottom of this listing, 
Martin Emerson's the only corner who catches who uh, is, is responsible for four targets his direction. Even though he did have a nasty DPI, he got beat on another play right after that where Stafford missed Pukunuku up the left sideline as well. So this grade's pretty generous, but he ends up the result here, not the process. Two catches on four targets, nine yards. Delpit gets a decent grade, gives up two catches for 23, but Juan Thornhill gives up four of four, 48. Newsom gives up three of six for 40. Mike Ford gives up 6 of 9 for 53. Khalifa Lossi, 3 of 5 for 22. And then, you know, Sione Takitaki takes a bad grade here, but the scheme, that cover 2 invert was broken from the minute Stafford saw it. He knew it. He audibled out of under center to shotgun to the to the three-man concept with a seam shot. Like, they had that play as schemed up as you will ever see against anything Jim Schwartz runs. Manipulated it, hit the throw, I mean, if you're a Rams fan, that's like, I mean, that is poetry in motion. Browns fans is a nightmare because it's an exposure of a concept Schwartz likes to run where a team was so calm, collected, and, and gathered in how to manipulate that concept. It's, it's something I'm going to have to write on tomorrow or the next day. We'll see. Pretty concerning overall. Special teams as we close out here, Harrison Bryant, ironically, great game from him. Highest special team score, Anthony Bell. Khalifa Lossi, Jordan Kanasich, 29 special team snaps, the most on the team, so shout out to him, right? He was out there a ton. A.J. Green, Pierre Strong, Mahmoud Diabate, and Tony Fields, a part of your core special teams group with DeAnthony Bell. So that continues to be not a net negative, but I would lo- I'd love to see them be a net positive at some point. Five punts from Bjorkwes, 236 total yards, 47.2 yards per attempt. The 40.2 net needs to be better, right? Needs to be better. You only had... Two punts uh, inside the 20 of the five. One was a touchback. So not bad, again, but you'd like it to be a little better. He needs to be punting, especially in a dome environment, a little bit better than that, more consistent than that, and get more out of it because his leg is powerful enough. So Hopkins gets his worst grade on the year because he misses an extra point and doesn't really make any gigantic kicks, like a 47.6. The grading metric on kickers is kind of funny, but... He does make a 40 to 49 yard kick that helps. He made a 20 to 29. And if you were on the gambling side of things and you were chasing the six and a half points, he did get to seven points. So um, I'm not all too worried about Hopkins missing an extra point, but that is two this year. And they've been crucial, both of them. That Ravens game and this one, you know, you get to 20 to 19, you really want to make it and feel tied. That's a big difference between 2019 and 2020. I wish you would have gotten a chance to rectify that at the end. That's a bummer he didn't. That's it for today. Browns out, schemed out, coached out, played. I mean, and they were close still. Even in that case, they were still close. You know, I actually thought the offense was overall kind of fine. Defense was out, coached, out, played. Right? That's a bummer because you're leaning on those guys. They got to be better this week. It is potentially a huge get right opportunity if CJ Beathard's starting at quarterback. We'll be monitoring that closely. We'll get Jordan Zerm and Andrew Spade in here soon. We'll have a, a mailbag for you tomorrow. Then we'll get with Jordan. We'll talk through a lot of different things going on in a really big, big game. Big game at home against the Jags, who are also going to be chasing a win that they will badly need, having dropped that game to Cincinnati. So we'll see how it shakes out. Okay, We'll give you all the information you need. Check out the OBR for the written content. Rate and review the pod on your way out. Thanks for making the OBR Film Breakdown a part of your Tuesday. Appreciate you guys so much. You know that. Check in for the Mailbag Wednesday. Until I catch you then, go Browns.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com